0: We're now going to look at a focused history and summarise the key elements to that particular part of the patient assessment model. The model we use is a Calgary model. And essentially, that provides a framework for how you should go about this. It starts with initiating the session Then it moves to gathering information, then it goes on to physical examination, etc. We're going to concentrate on initiating the session and gathering information. Initiating the session is all about building a rapport with your patient. There is a mnemonic we use for this, which is SOLAR, which is S for sit squarely, face the patient, O for open posture, L for lean towards patient, E for eye contact, R for relaxed approach. You need to try to find somewhere quiet and private to undertake this interview. And it's all about building rapport with your patient. You need to seek consent. You need to ensure confidentiality. Avoid jargon and establish what the patient wishes to be called. You need to consider your own non-verbal behaviour and communication. You need to demonstrate active listening, reassuring gestures. And you need to watch for clues from the patient's body language. Um, obviously, be aware of your own non-verbal behaviours and observe for understanding. Verbal communication. Ideally, you should be using open questions to allow the patient to talk. But sometimes you might need to close things down with some closed questions. Allow for silence. Don't feel you have to feel every silence. Um, and use confirmation and clarification. So, can I please confirm what you're saying is this? Or the clarification can you please just elaborate on what you've just said so I can understand it better? Be professional non-judgmental and don't lead your patient. Don't use leading questions. With regards to recording the interview, you do need to take uh, notes, but you need to be per- um, careful not to break the rapport. So if you're sat there staring at your, your notebook or your EPR, you're not actually engaging with the patient. So you probably need to do a bit of both. You need to maintain engagement, but also... Gather the information. With regards to the sort of biographical data you need to gather, it's the basics, age, marital status, address, GP, next to kin, etc. You also need to establish presenting complaint. Why are we here? What's the primary reason we are talking to you today? You then need to explore the history of that complaint. There is another mnemonic, Old CART, which is quite useful. O is for onset, L is for location. D is for duration, C is for characteristics, A is for associated factors, R is for relieving or aggravating factors, and T is treatment so far. That can also be used when you're assessing someone's pain. Past medical history including allergies and medication. So consider have they been hospitalised before, any surgical procedures before, any serious illnesses as a child or an adult, immunisation history if if it's relevant. With regards to allergies, what's the severity of the allergy? What's the, what's the allergen? Is it food or is it medication or is it the environment generally? Um, medication can be over-the-counter, can be prescribed, or can be some herbal alternative remedies. You need to consider all of those. Health hazards, so think about smoking, alcohol, illicit drugs. Think about pack years for smoking and units of alcohol per week for alcohol. Are they concerned about their consumption? Do they wish to stop? Occupational hazards. Again, are they working in an environment which is dangerous to them? Is there lots of dust or uh, pollutants that can cause respiratory disease? Are they a manual worker? Do they have musculoskeletal issues? Or are they rather sedentary and potentially um, carrying weight which could lead to and diabetes and things like that. You then move to family history. Uh, You need to consider the patient's parents, siblings and children at a bare minimum. Are these immediate relatives still alive? If not, when did they die? How did they die? And what age did they die? Are there any potential hereditary conditions which may cause the patient you're talking to problems? Also consider um, survivable. Diseases? Have they had a cancer, but then subsequently gone into remission? You also need to do an illness inventory of the patient's close relatives. Have they suffered from respiratory, cardiovascular cancers, diabetes, epilepsy, and/or hypertension? You're then going to move to social history. So, if you're in a um, domestic dwelling and there's other people around, who are these people? What's the what's the relationship to the person? you're speaking to do they need to be there and if they don't they shouldn't be there they should be asked to leave what's the employment status of the person you're talking to do they have any caring responsibilities or are they being cared for themselves what's the quality of accommodation can that be a factor to um, some of their problems is there any safeguarding issues either to the patient themselves or to the people they're living with or caring for And any stressors that may be causing the person problems, that could be numerous from financial accommodation, caring responsibilities, um, or mental health concerns. Then we're going to look at lifestyle. So think about their diet. Is that impacting on their health? Think about exercise and sleep. Think about their leisure activities. Do they have a network of friends and family that they regularly engage with? Have they been on recent travel which could have caused them a um, um, uh, um, a physical problem or they might have a gi upset or they might have been to a malarial region recently any religious observance which might impact on them accepting treatment or might provide a, a reason why they're feeling unwell then you're going to do a review of systems for that particular patient so think about ear nose and throat respiratory cardiovascular gi urinary, musculoskeletal, neurological, endocrine, diabetes, and or mental health. Have they suffered from any significant problems in any of those key systems? And if they have, what was the problem? And that is the end of your focus history. Okay, we're now going to consider the general physical assessment this is the first part of the system assessment that you will have to do for the majority of the systems that we're talking about within this module. This is how you approach the patient and how you initiate the examination before you get into the system-specific examination. So you would have taken a history by this point. You would have identified which system or systems you wish to um, examine. And now you're going to do a general health assessment overview of your patient just to to rule out any significant illnesses um, that you, they may have before you move into the system specific area you're obviously going to initiate the system, you're going to get consent, you're going to explain um, this, what's going to happen, so it needs to be informed consent, you're going to make sure they realise that you'll be laying hands on them, you'll be examining them, you may be undressing them at some point, so you need to make sure um, that that is understood. You also need to consider the need for a chaperone and things like that, if, if, if so be it, if it's a, particularly if it's an intimate um, examination. Consider the environment, make sure it's private, make sure it's screened off, make sure it's warm, especially if you need to undress people. Make sure your hands are clean, make sure you clean them in front of your patients so they can see that they are clean. Uh, Consider um, your length of your fingernails and the cleanliness of your fingernails, and obviously you should be bare below the elbow. Now we're gonna consider the order of the examination. Generally, the clinician stands to the patient's right. There is no real reason to this, um, but that's just become medical convention. And most physical assessments, I stress the word most because not all, will follow this particular order, which is inspection, palpation, percussion and auscultation. If you're looking at one of the major systems, if you're looking at MSK, then you're going to follow the look, feel, move approach. So we're going to look at inspection, palpation, percussion, and auscultation in slightly more detail so inspection we're going to consider the mnemonic some teams, okay, and s stands for symmetry is the patient symmetrical O is for older than chronological years, which is fairly obvious. M, mental acuity, are they able to converse with you? Do they know their name and the basic biographical data? Uh, Are they confused? Are they not making any sense? Expression, are they pained? Are they angry? Are they upset? Trunk, any obvious um, weight gain or, or significant weight loss recently? Extremities, think about nail beds, think about noses and lips. Um, is there any obvious um, cyanosis that you need to be concerned about? Appearance: Are they well kept? Um, do they look smart? Um, do they look dishevelled? Do they look neglected? Movement: If you can see them move, then that's will you'll consider their gait and their general ability to mobilise. And you're also going to consider their their speech: Is it slurred? Is it clear? Um, Is there any speech problems that uh, may be unique since they've become unwell? And obviously any red flags you're going to consider and deal with at that point you come across them. We're then going to look at palpation. Basically when you palpate, you're feeling for texture, temperature, moisture, mobility of any organs, consistency and, and response. So the patient's response to your palpation. Do they wince? Do they guard? Do they cry out in pain? A couple of different methods. There's a sort of a light one-handed approach and there's the slightly deeper two-handed approach which we would have um, considered during the lecture. You can also use it on the on edge of your hand on occasion which is allegedly quite sensitive. Okay, you shouldn't be wearing gloves for this. That will affect your ability to feel. Percussion. Um, again, this is about locating organs, locating their borders, identifying their size and shape and position, and consider whether they are um, solid and um, or air-filled or fluid-filled. can be direct, so directly onto a bone, for example, or it can be indirect, so you palpate someone's abdomen, um, but you're indirectly trying to locate organs and structures below. You're not percussing directly onto the underlying organ. Again, you're not gonna be wearing gloves. You're gonna make sure your nails are nice and short so you don't hurt yourself. We discussed the technique during the lecture, um, but the sort of sounds you might hear. Uh, timpani, so um, air in a, in, a, in a semi-rigid structure like the bow. Uh, resonance, so um, large quantities or or, uh, sorry not large quantities but air filled area uh, like a lung etc hyper resonant large quantities of air with hyperinflated chests dullness solid tissue like liver spleen or heart or flat so dense muscle or bone then going to consider auscultation so you're listening for Um, adventitious sounds you're listening for the quality of sound and you're listening for the absence or 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 non-absence of of sounds which could be significant you need to make sure um, that the earbuds are in the right way round. it's nice and tight it's nice and quiet you haven't got um, tubing that's far too long you need to apply a nice bit of pressure you need to discover whether you need to use a diaphragm or bell or, or both Sort of sounds you're listening for: vesicular, broncho-vesicular, and bronchial. Which again, we would dis- we would have discussed in the in the session. Okay, so they're the basic techniques of a general assessment. We've considered inspection, we've considered palpation, percussion, and auscultation. Now we're actually going to look at um, the order of things. We're always going to start with the hands. And we're going to think about the warmth and hydration and moisture of those hands. And some other conditions which we might see on the hand. Tendon, uh, palmar erythema, Janeway lesions, things like that. Then we're going to move to nail beds. And we're going to examine the nail beds quite closely on both hands. Remember, everything is done bilaterally from now on. We're going to consider osler nodes, if there's any obvious clubbing, splinter hemorrhages or Terry's nails, any cyanosis or Jupitron's contracture may be obvious at this point. And we're going to consider cat refill and look for staining and things like that. We're now going to move up to the face and we're going to consider eyes. And there's a variety of conditions that may be evident within the eyes. They could be pallid, so they could be anemic, could have a corneal arcus or xanthalasmata. Could have um, yellowing from uh, jaundice. Then we're going to finish off at the mouth. We're going to consider any odours. We're going to consider any cyanosis. And we're going to consider dentition um, because that may lead to illnesses if it's poor. And that is the end of the general assessment. We're now going to summarise the respiratory assessment, so you would have met your patient and you would have considered a focus history, so go back to your history taking notes or listen to the history taking summary you 're going to go through all those elements from um, consent from. Um, personal biographical data, all the way down to review of systems. You're going to think about specific respiratory conditions that you may want to focus on when you ask about history. Um, So you're going to think about any sort of persistence, coughs or shortness of breath or wheezing or chest pain or things like that. So try to make your history taking as um, relevant to the system as possible rather than being too general in nature. You're then going to move uh, to review the respiratory rate. You've got to do this over a minute. Uh, How you do that is entirely up to you, Uh, but you don't want to make it too obvious because that can elevate um, the rate. So you just need to make sure it's within normal boundaries. Uh, If if it's not particularly slow or particularly high, then you need to um, intervene at this point. You're not going to carry on with anything else. You're going to deal with that problem straight away. Then you're gonna to move to general assessment. Again, we've, we've summarized a general assessment and we would have talked about it in the sessions. So you're gonna look at hands, you're gonna look at nails, you're gonna consider um, asterixis for this particular system, you're gonna look at eyes, and you're gonna look at mouth and teeth and gums. So you've taken your history, um, you've looked at the respiratory rate, uh, you've looked at hands, face, Uh, nail beds etc as part of your general assessment so by now you should have already built up quite a lot of data now we're going to move on to the respiratory system itself first of all we're going to make sure the trachea is midline then whilst we're at the top uh, around the neck area we're going to consider the lymph nodes and we're gonna look at the supra and infraclavicular nodes, paying particular um, attention to the left-sided supraclavicular node, which is Virchow's node. Because uh, if that becomes inflamed and swollen, then there could be some respiratory pathology that we need to be aware of. At this point, if we haven't done so already, we're gonna ask the patient to remove their top layer so they can expose um, their top layer to you. Gonna make sure they're comfortable, Semi-recumbent, um, 45 degrees, or sat on the edge of a bed if, if, if more appropriate. I'm going to do a general inspection of the anterior and posterior chest, remembering the axillas as well. Have a good look around, looking for any clues, scarring, bruising, etc. etc. You're also going to consider the AP diameter at this point and the costal margin. Again, we were talked about the technique in the session. We're now going to have a general palpation. So, we're going to palpate the structures of the chest. So, think about the ribs, think about the sternum, potentially think about the spine. Have a good palpate round front, back, and sides. Make sure you're very systematic with your palpation. You're trying to elicit any discomfort or feel for any abnormalities. We're still in the sort of palpation phase, and now we're going to move to tactile fremitus. So again, we've spoken about this using the ulnar edge, asking them to say 99 or blue balloon. Remembering, of course, the closer you are to the head, the more vibration you're likely to feel. Still part of the palpation phase, we're now going to move on to chest expansion. We've got to do axillas, so that's on the shoulders and either front or back, depends on whether you're dealing with a female or a male. You don't necessarily have to do all three, but your thumb should separate equally, about five centimeters, um, if you have a good, healthy chest expansion. Okay, moving um, away from palpation, and considering um, percussion. Again, we've talked about the technique, we're gonna percuss between the ribs, Um, preferably if we can if we've got space ask the patient to cross their arms so they can you can generate more space around the back move the scapulas out the way and because systematically comparing side to side like for like listening for those sounds that we talked about you know the timpani the resonance the flatness the dullness hyper resonance so it needs to be nice and quiet you need to make sure your technique is good so do front, back, and axillas. Remembering if you're dealing with a female patient, you're not gonna be palpating or percussing over breast tissue. Now we're gonna to move to auscultation. So stethoscope out. For lungs, we're gonna be using the diaphragm. We're gonna be using the same systematic approach we have for percussion. We're gonna be listening to the front, not over breast tissue. Going down to sort of fifth and sixth rib space and we're going to be listening around the back, going down to about the 10th rib space before we get to the diaphragm. We're going to listen to the sides as well. A nice, quiet environment. Ask the patient to breathe normally through an open mouth. If they start to feel unwell in any way, then they need to tell you and they need to stop breathing. They don't want to hyperventilate them. And then you can start again. You're listening for adventitious sounds and you're trying to make sure that you have bilateral, equal, air entry and that is the end of the respiratory system. So we're now going to consider the cardiovascular system and as with the respiratory system you're going to get your consent, you're going to clean your hands, you're going to take a focused history. And the things you want to be focusing on in your history are things like chest pain, breathlessness, oedema, syncope, fatigue or palpitations, as well as all the other things like familial history, social history and lifestyle. Then you're going to move into the general assessment, again using the same systematic approach. going to be looking at hands nails eyes and mouth obviously when you look at hands because we are dealing with the cardiovascular system you want to take a nice early um, bilateral radial pulse okay you want to take it for at least a minute ideally 30 seconds if you haven't got that much time you're looking at rate rhythm and volume okay so once you've completed your general assessment You're then going to take some more pulses, and that is your brachial pulses. Again, bilaterally, everything has to be done bilaterally. You're not going to take these for over a minute. You're just going to make sure that the brachial pulses exist and are there. You also may well consider a blood pressure at this point, but we wouldn't necessarily expect you to undertake it for your OSCE. So, moving on, we're going to move up to the head, neck area, and we're going to take carotid pulses bilaterally. Again, don't need to do it for a minute, just make sure they're there. And then we're going to listen to the vasculature in the neck, the carotid arteries for brewery, turbulent blood flow. And we're gonna be using the bell of our stethoscope. Ideally, you'll ask the patient to hold their breath. That will remove the breath sounds, and it'll give you a better idea if there are any adventitious brewery sounds. You probably likely just hear the pulsations of the carotid arteries. Okay remaining at the neck you're going to look for increased jugular venous pressure. We talked about the technique during the lecture they're going to look over their left shoulder you're going to inspect the right supraclavicular fossa and if you believe there is engorgement you may well wish to measure it remembering that anything over four centimeters is considered clinically significant. Now we're moving to the inspection phase so top off if you haven't done so already expose the top have a good look at the anterior chest have a sort of a look round generally at the back and sides as well but you're particularly focusing on the anterior chest you you may see the apical pulse if they're particularly slender so think about where that's going to be mid clavicular line fifth intercostal space left side of chest we um, also may be looking out for heaves these are strong pulsations um, some people call them heaves, some people call them lifts, um, but these are large hearts, large bounding pulsations, which may be visible to the naked eye. Okay, so we've had a look, now we're going to look, consider palpation. So some general, fairly rigorous, firm palpation, particularly to the anterior chest, trying to rule out conditions like costochondritis. Uh, we're also going to feel for the ap- apical pulse. We've already had a look for it. Probably won't be visible on most people. And we're going to feel for it. Uh, again, don't be worried if you can't feel for it. But if you can, it's going to be in that normal anatomical region, mid-clavicular line, fifth intercostal space, left side of chest. Bearing in mind the gender of your patient. Um, if you are dealing with a lady, you're not going to be palpating over breast tissue. And you might need to ask them to lift their left breast out the way to allow you to feel for the apical pulse you don't lift it they lift it okay you've had a look you've had a feel um, we're going to stick on palpation and we're going to consider thrills so these are high grade murmurs which are which you can palpate uh, we're going to palpate across the areas where the where the um, heart valves are so uh, we're going to be going horizontally at second intercostal space. We're going to be going vertically down the left sternal border and we're going horizontally in the fifth intercostal space. On the edge of hand again like we did with tactile fremitus and we're feeling for any vibration. Okay, so we've had a feel for thrills. Now we're going to get our stethoscope out. Um, there's no percussion in this particular system so we move on to auscultation. So again not over breast tissue, Um, but obviously uh, where they are, you're going to have to sort of navigate your your way around by asking your patient to move their anatomy out of the way. Um, But ideally, don't try to listen over dense breast tissue because you won't be able to hear much. You might need to adjust your technique slightly just to make sure you can get your stethoscope in the right areas. So we're going to listen over the aortic, the pulmonary Um, the tricuspid and the mitral valve remembering of course herbs point there's five different places we're going to listen we're going to listen with the bell and the step um, and the diaphragm of our stethoscope and we're listening for any adventitious sounds which could be heart murmurs could be valve problems so first of all aorta right side of sternum second intercostal space moving to pulmonary left side of sternum second intercostal space move down one intercostal space on the left side of the border to herbs point should be equal here. And then you're going to move down to the tricuspid valve in the fourth intercostal space, left side of border, and then finally the mitral valve midclavicular line, fifth intercostal space on the left side. Okay, so remembering which sound is going to be greater. So you got S1 and S2, which are the normal sounds. Okay, S1 is the closure of tricuspid and mitral, S2 is the closure of aortic and pulmonary. So if you have your stethoscope up around the second intercostal space, S2 should be greater. If you have your stethoscope around the fourth intercostal and fifth intercostal space, then S1 should be greater. And ideally, in Herb's point, S1 and S2 should sound very similar in the quality of sound. So you're trying to rule out murmurs, which we would have discussed in the lecture. You're also trying to rule out additional heart sounds. You may have an S3 or you may have an S4. So you, you can, uh, instead of hearing lub-dub, you might be hearing lub-lub-dub or lub-dub-dub. Okay, for the osky, um you're going to consider alternative positioning at this point. So you're going to be left lateral and you're going to be listening for those S3s and S4s and you're going to be leaning the patient forward and listening for those aortic murmurs. Obviously in reality, if you only ever hear S1 and S2 and you're convinced and you're happy that there's no murmurs or additional heart sounds, then you don't need to adopt these alternative positions, but you will do for your OSCE. Then we're going to move to the back and just auscultate the lung bases. just about around about the temp intercostal space, no lower, please, because that's diaphragm, and we're going to rule out any sort of fluid within the lungs at this point. We're also going to consider sacral oedema whilst we're around the back, and uh, then we're going to look at lower limb peripheral oedema around the lower, uh, below the knees on both sides, and then finally. Uh, we're going to consider our lower pulses. So we've done our upper pulses, radial, brachial and carotid. Now we're going to do our lower pulses, teal behind the knee, knee, posterior tibial, so around the medial malleoli, dorsalis pedis on the top of the foot. And you're going to verbalise you would consider the femoral, but you're not going to take it because it's too intimate for our teaching. Again, this has to be bilateral. Again, you're just making sure it's there so you can satisfy yourself that they have circulation from their toes all the way up to their head. And that is the end of the cardiovascular system. Okay, now we're going to consider the abdominal system. So again, like with the other systems, we're going to get some consent we're going to take a focused history. And the things we need to consider in our history on this occasion is obviously pain, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, any change in bowel habits, any change in urinary habits, weight loss, weight gain, sexual history, and all the other things like hazards, social history, lifestyle, review of systems, etc. So we've taken our history we're now going to move to our general assessment and again using the same systematic approach we're going to look at the hands we're going to consider asterixis for this system we're going to look at the nail beds we're going to look at the eyes we're going to um, consider the mouth and dentition okay then we're going to um, do the inspection part of this assessment and we're going to be considering particularly spider nevi so we need to get the top off have a good look around the front, the back, and the sides, around the arms as well. For any spider nevi, more than six you would refer on. Um, Then we're going to consider our supraclavicular uh, lymph nodes and our infraclavicular lymph nodes. So again, considering Virchow's node, which is on um, the, obviously the left-hand side supraclavicular node. Uh, Because again, that could suggest some abdominal pathology if that was raised. Now we need to lay the patient flat for the rest of this assessment. They have to be completely supine. They can't be sat up. Obviously, if they have a medical condition that prevent them from laying completely supine, then you're going to have to adjust your technique. But ordinarily, completely supine from this moment onwards. And bearing in mind, They are laying flat on their back, their peripheral vision, their field of vision is restricted. They can generally only see what's immediately above them. So, good communication from this moment onwards, telling them what you're doing and preparing them for palpation and things like that so it doesn't take them by surprise, especially if they've already told you that they've got pain in their abdomen. Have a good look around the abdomen for any scarring, stretch marks, distension. Umbilical distension, any raised um, vasculature, or anything like that. We're also going to look for abnormal pulsations. So thinking about your descending aortic aneurysm and the peristaltic wave. Okay, you shouldn't be able to see peristalsis, even though it can. It's, it's happening all the time. You shouldn't be able to see it. If you can see peristalsis. Um, then you may have a a significant abdominal problem. Okay so now we go out of order for this particular system. Ordinarily we'd be looking at percussion and palpation auscultation from this moment forward because we've done our inspection. But we're going to auscultate first for this system. Primarily um, if you don't auscultate first and you start poking and prodding that can actually um, increase bowel sound, which might give you a false positive. So you start with auscultation and you're going to auscultate for bowel sounds in the right lower quadrant for up to about a minute or so. If you can hear it there, move on, carry on coping. You don't need to do anything else. If you can't hear it there, then you're going to systematically work your way around the other three quadrants, listening with the diaphragm of your stethoscope. Whilst you have your stethoscope, you're then going to move to the vasculature and you're gonna then switch it over to the bell, use the bell from now on, and you're gonna be listening for the descending aorta, the left and right renal arteries, the left and right iliac arteries, and then uh, femoral arteries. You may not be able to hear the femorals because they may be too low down under underwear, but but if you can't get your stethoscope uh, low enough down, then you just verbalize what you would do in your OSCE because you don't want to be going inside underwear so that's your auscultation phase completed Uh, you're listening for vascular uh, for breweries as you would have done previously when you listen to the carotid arteries in the cardiovascular system so that's the end of the auscultation phase we now sort of go back to percussion uh, and we're going to percuss the abdomen and we're listening for a nice hollow sound. Obviously, it might get quite flat and dense when you go over organs. Uh, but generally, you're sort of uh, listening for normal resonance. Um, a bit of timpani if you go over airfield bowel. Um, and, of course, it may get quite flat if, you, if you're hitting things like the liver and things like that. Um, but, again, systematic starting in the... Um, right lower quadrant working your way around all four quadrants systematically covering the whole abdomen with your percussion sticking to percussion we're now going to measure the liver so again we would have discuss the technique during the session but essentially uh, if you got if you're dealing with a male it's, it's a lot easier you can start quite high up in the chest where you know uh, that there's lung so you get a nice hollow resonant lung sound and then you work your way down sort of mid-clavicular line anterior aspect of the right side of the chest until that sound starts to become flatter and denser and that's your upper margin of your liver then you carry on down the liver Still nice and dense, nice and dense, nice and dense until you get a nice resonant hollow sound as you get into the sort of bowel area below the inferior border of the liver. Mark the superior and inferior borders. Get your ruler out, measure it. Should be ideally between 6 and 12 for a normal liver span. Obviously with ladies, you're not going to be percussing over breast tissue. So it makes this technique quite difficult but you need to get as high as you can to start with before you start percussing downwards towards the liver. Still on percussion, you're gonna now percuss for splenomegaly, an enlarged spleen. Ordinarily, in normal health, you can't percuss the spleen. But the techniques you're gonna be using, uh, there's two of them. You're gonna be percussing along Traube's space to start with, and then you're gonna be doing some static percussion. Traub space is between the ninth and 10th and rib, you're going to be starting a sort of um, anterior axillary line uh, on the sort of um, left side of the, the patient's chest, and you're going to be percussing down in the between the rib space, ninth and 10th, towards the mid-axillary line. Should be nice and resonant, shouldn't hear any dull percussion notes. You can ask the patient to take some nice deep breaths in and out while you're doing it. That will move the spleen up towards the mid-axillary line. And if it is enlarged, you might get some dense sound around that area. should be nice and hollow, though, in normal health. Then you're going to do some static percussion. So you're just going to, again, identify um, the anterior axillary line. Have a good percuss there statically and ask the patient to breathe in and out. And again, that might move it towards your finger. But again, you should just hear nice hollow sounds. Last thing we're going to do is we're going to consider ascites. Obviously in reality, if if they don't have a grossly distended abdomen, uh, which could be ascites, then you're not going to do this, but in Yoski, you'll be asked to demonstrate this. So with them supine initially, you're going to um, becuss from the umbilicus down towards the bed. doesn't matter which side you go, bearing in mind generally you're stood on the patient's right. That will be the side you'll do. So it should be nice and hollow, 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 hollow until you hit the fluid. If there is fluid and it will become um, dense and, and flat and you mark that point there where your fluid line is. You then ask the patient to lay on their left side sorry lay on their right side if you're if you're approaching them from the right that will then move the fluid um, from the left all the way down to the right leave it 30 seconds and then starting at the umbilicus percuss back down towards the bed till you get to the upper line of the fluid again it become quite dense and flat and if that second line is higher than the first line then you have shifting uh, fluid shifting dullness which would suggest a fluid-filled peritoneum, which would be ascites. Okay, so um, we've done ascites. uh, We've done our liver, and we've done some general percussion, and we've done our spleen as well. So now we're going to move to palpation. So initially we're going to do some abdominal palpation with one hand, just with the tips of the fingers, one or two centimetres at the most deep just feeling for pain, rigidity, guarding, be systematic all the way around the four quadrants. Obviously if they do say um, that they have tenderness somewhere in their abdomen, go to that bit last. Don't start there. Then you're going to go again all the way around the four quadrants with a double handed technique, a lot deeper, five to six centimeters now. And you're trying to feel for organs. Are they in the right place? Um, is there any masses that it shouldn't be there? And again, starting away from any pain that's been reported, but be systematic and go all the way around the four quadrants with both one and two-handed palpation. Sticking on palpation, we're now going to try to palpate the liver. So we're going to ask the patient to sort of be nice and supine on their back. We're going to put our non-dominant hand under their under their back on the right side, And we're going to use our dominant hand, sort of the radial edge of our fingers, and we're going to scoop it under the right costal margin. Ask them to take a nice deep breath in. That will allow us to come quite deep under that costal margin. And then ask them to breathe normally. And you might, I stress the word, might feel the inferior edge of the liver bumping against your index finger. If you do feel it, it should be smooth and Um, rounded it shouldn't feel knobbly and firm then we move to spleen again normal health shouldn't be able to palpate spleen like you shouldn't be able to percuss the spleen you can do this supine we can do this um, with them laying on their right side Um, technique is basically the same you're going to support them with the non-dominant hand at the back going to use your dominant hand the tips of your fingers you're going to go up under the left costal margin now and you're going to poke right up towards their shoulder blade and you're going to ask them to take some deep breaths in and out again that will move the spleen towards your fingers Um, if you do feel it that's abnormal ideally you shouldn't feel it at all okay still on palpation we're going to consider Rovzing's sign which is for acute appendicitis uh counterintuitively if you palpate in the left lower quadrant and release you might have some pain in the right lower quadrant okay and that will be suggestive of an acute appendix that's Rovzing's sign the other thing you're going to consider is Murphy's sign for cholecystitis they're so an inflamed gallbladder so very similar to what you did with the liver uh, you're gonna poke your fingers up under the right costal margin uh, ask them to take some deep breaths in shouldn't be painful um, but if it is painful acutely tender when you poke your fingers up under the right costal margin um, to, sort of towards their midline then they might have an inflamed gallbladder and that is the end of your abdominal system Okay, we're now going to consider the neurological system and cranial nerves in particular. Again, slight deviation from the norm. Uh, We're not going to carry out a general assessment on this um, system, but we are still going to get consent. We are still going to clean our hands. uh, We're still going to do a sort of ended bed exam, so considering our sum teams Um, but we're not gonna then move on and do hands and face and things like that. Uh, We're gonna go straight into our focused history. So again, our focused history needs to be um, using the same sort of structure as always, um, but focusing on things that might be evident with the neurological system, particularly uh, around the face and head. So headaches, loss of consciousness, dizziness, uh, changing levels of consciousness any visual disturbance or any history of head injury. As well as past medical history, meds, allergies, and familial history, etc. etc. Consider a, a mnemonic when you're trying to remember your cranial nerves. There's a lot out there, um, but the one that's quite easy to, to remember um, and the one that we used in our lecture um, is... Quite a simple one, and it is basically um, an old Olympus towering tops, a Finn and German viewed some hops. Okay, but there are other ones out there, Uh, you make your own one up, but it's a good way of trying to remember the order because we have to be very systematic in our approach and do it chronologically. So we've got our consent, we've told the patient what's going to happen, we've sorted our hands out. Done an end of bed, some teams assessment. We've got our history. That's identified any red flags or considerations we need to um, think about as we progress for the rest of the examination. And then we're going to go into our our 12 cranial nerves. So cranial nerve number one, olfactory nerve. It's a sensory nerve. It's about sense of smell. You're going to question only. Don't generally test cranial nerve number one cranial nerve number two optic nerve also sensory Uh, you could use fundoscopy you could use a Snellen chart not generally available in the pre-hostile environment Uh, so the easiest thing to do is is by confrontation and we would have talked about the technique uh, in the lecture but you're assessing sort of peripheral vision by confrontation on both right and left hand side then we start to group some cranial nerves. And we're going to go three, four, and six. So three is ocular motor, uh, which is a motor nerve. Four is trochlear nerve, which is also motor. And six is abducens nerve, which is also motor. So these are about uh, pupil reaction um, light reflection, near, far, far gaze and H gaze. These are all to do with the motor function of the eyes, which is why they group together. Then we go back to cranial nerve number five, trigeminal nerve, which is both sensory and motor. This is about um, feeling in the in the face and also uh, about the musculature around the temporal muscles and the masata muscles. Okay, so you're going to feel the face both dull and sharp um, touch through the three divisions of the ophthalmic, ophthalmic maxillary and mandibular division. Nice and medial, quite close to the nose. Don't want to go too lateral because you deviate away from the nerve pathway. So you're going to start with dull touch, patient's eye closed, Tell the, and they're going to tell you where you're feeling. Then you're going to move on to neurotip uh, and do some sharp touch. Same divisions eyes closed and they're going to tell you where that you're you're poking and then you're going to do uh, the temporal muscles and the masata muscles okay now cranial nerve number seven sensory and motor facial nerves so these are the expressions you're going to ask them to pull raising eyebrows showing teeth grimacing grinning keeping their eyes shut against resistance you're going to question about taste as well if they've had any changes in taste since the incident whatever the incident may well be so moving on to h cranial nerve number eight vestibular or acoustic nerve sensory nerve so this is uh, around hearing so you're going to do your whisper test first Uh, In reality, if you had any deficit from the whisper whisper test, you'd move on and do Weber and RIN with your tuning fork. Um, But if you didn't have any abnormality from a whisper test, you would be satisfied that the hearing was okay and you'd move on. But in the OSCE, you need to do whisper, Weber and RIN using the 512 hertz fork for both Weber and RIN. Again, we would have talked about the technique Of how to do these in in the lecture but you need to do all three tests for this nerve please then we're going to move on to to nine and ten uh nine is glossopharyngeal and ten is vagus we tend to do this these at the same time glossopharyngeal is sensory and motor vagus is also sensory and motor so you're going to look at uh, the, the, the palatal arch and the uvula. You're going to ask them to open their mouth. You might need to use a tongue depressor to move the tongue out of the way. And you're going to ask them to go, ah, the palatal arch should move up um, symmetrically and your uvula should be central, shouldn't be deviated. You can also ask them to do a dry swallow and just look at the larynx. It should just move up and down uh, nice and central. Okay, then you're going to move to um, eleven spinal or accessory nerve uh, motor so again we're looking at the sternomastoid and the trapezius muscles so in the neck and the shoulders um, you're going to apply some resistance to the side of the face on their cheek ask them to turn into that resistance they sh- you should feel some muscular power and also with your hands on their on their shoulders Providing a little bit of resistance, you're gonna ask them to shrug their shoulders again. They should be able to push your hands up quite easily. So that's testing those those muscles. Also have a quick inspection of the of the upper shoulders and neck, just look for muscle wastage or, or anything on, 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 on visual inspection. And then finally cranial nerve number 12, hypoglossal nerve. This is about tongue, uh, so it's a motor nerve. So ask them to flop their tongue out, should be nice and central. They can also poke their tongue into their cheek and you can try to push their tongue away. They should be able to hold it in their cheek without any problems. Both sides for that, please. And then you're going to ask them to, to say light, tight dynamite, which tests the motor function of their tongue. Because if you, if you had a poor motor function of the tongue, you wouldn't be able to say that phrase. And that is the end of your assessment. So we're now going to move on to the musculoskeletal system and i've separated this into upper and lower limb so we're going to start with upper limbs and we're going to start with the uppermost joint which is the shoulder joint so in reality if uh, someone hurt their shoulder a lot of these techniques and um, assessments are going to focus on the injured side only there is an element of comparing like to like and comparing non-injured to injured side but for a lot of these assessment techniques you're just going to be focusing on the one side that has been injured which is a slight deviation from the other assessments where you tend to do lots of things bilaterally routinely on the msk you're just going to focus generally on the injured side only Very similar to the cranial nerves, we're not going to be doing general assessment for these systems. Uh, We're going to be making initial contact, getting our consent, sorting our hands out. Uh, We'll do a a visual end of bed exam, so our some teams assessment, looking for any clues on visual inspection. Uh, And then we're going to be going into the history. And again, the history is very dependent upon the injury that you're presented with. Uh, But you're going to be considering presenting complaint, uh, mechanism of injury, um, pain so you 're going to be assessing level of pain uh, history of falls, especially in the elderly, but not uniquely limited to the elderly uh, and in loss of uh, altered sensations, so think about your neurovascular status as well. Uh, we would have covered pain assessment in, in the lecture, but just a really quick recap. You've got a couple of scales really for adults and children. Well, um, numerical rating scale between 0 and 10, the one that lots of people use, or the visual analog scale uh, where they would mark on a piece of paper where they felt their pain was between two marks, one with no pain and, and one with worse pain. In the very young Um, You might be using the one baker um, faces for for the the, the very small children who who have limited uh, communication skills or or don't understand um, the numerical rating scale, etc. And you might also be considering um, the the MOBID 2 scale for, for the older people. Um, there's also pieces of hurt tool where you've got your poker pieces or whatever you can lay your hand on, and that will give you an idea of the severity of the pain. Um, and you've also got um, the flax scale for, for the, the, the very small infants from sort of two months onwards, where you're just looking at visual clues. Uh, so, flax stands for the face, the legs, the activity, the cry, and the consolability. Um, But once you've you've done your your pain assessment, you can consider a history of falls um, and intervene with prevention um, if needed or or, or referrals if needed to a falls team. And then you're going to move into your your phase of examination. And remember back in your general assessment summary, we talked about the, the, the way we do this and basically it's look, feel and move. Um, one thing we do have to make sure we do is we have to make sure we do a joint above and joint below if necessary um, just to make sure there's no no referred pain or injuries so you can start with inspection so going back now to the shoulder Um, They need to strip off the top layer so you get a good chance to look at them all the way around. They're going to inspect the anterior, the posterior, and the lateral side. Um, Just thinking about symmetry and obvious deformities and bruising and swelling and things like that. Joint above the shoulder would be the cervical spine. So we're going to palpate the C-spine. If there's nil tender on palpation, um, then we would consider moving it later. But initially, we're just going to feel... from C2 to C7 for any tenderness. The joint below the shoulder would be the elbow, uh, and we're going to uh, fill the medial lateral epicondyles and the olecranon Going back up to the shoulder, uh, we're going to palpate around the sternoclavicular joint. We're going to palpate the length of the clavicle on the affected side, and we're going to palpate the acromioclavicular joint the glenohumeral joint, and the scapulas. Considering the neurovascular status when we palpate, and they feel, is there any loss of sensation? Is it nice and warm to touch? So we've done our look, we've done our feel, now we're going to do our move. Okay, so back up to the joint above, which is the, the neck. I'm going to ask them to move for the normal range of movement you'd expect from a neck should be pain-free. Then we're going to go joint below and ask them to move the elbow. So flexion, extension, pronate, and supinate. And then we're going to move the shoulder. So we're going to abduct and adduct. And we're going to do this actively, passively, and resisted. We're going to consider flexion and extension, actively, passively, and resisted. And we're going to do internal, external rotation, actively, passively, and resisted. And finally... We're going to ask them to do um, normal, everyday, functional tests. So hands behind the heads, hands behind the back. That should be pain-free and easy to do. And that is your shoulder assessment. So sticking with the upper limbs, we're now going to move to the elbow joint. So again, we're going to adopt the same process. We're going to make initial contact. We're going to get some consent. We're going to do a visual inspection. We're going to sort our hands out. We're going to take a history, considering those things we spoke about last time, and then we're going to adopt the look, feel, move approach. So looking, visual inspection, you're just going to look at the anterior, lateral, and posterior aspect of the elbow on the affected side. You're obviously going to compare it with your non-affected side, visually uh, just to rule out any swelling or deformity. Now we need to consider joint above. So joint above on this occasion will be around the shoulder. So we're going to feel the acromioclavicular um, joint. We're going to feel the glenohumeral joint. We're going to feel the scapulas. We're going to feel the clavicles and we're going to feel the sternoclavicular joint. Joint below will be the wrist. And we're just going kind to of a general feel around the carpal bones of the wrist on the affected side. Okay, feeling the elbow itself, moving back up to the elbow, we're going to palpate the medial and lateral epicondyles and the olecranon. Okay, again, considering neurovascular status, making sure they can feel it, making sure it's not cold to touch. So, back up to joint above for our move section with the shoulder we're going to abduct and adduct we're going to flex and extend and we're going to internally and externally rotate moving down to the wrist below the joint below uh, we're going to flex we're going to extend and we're going to do ulnar and radial deviation on the affected side only then back up to the elbow the joint in question the moving phase is flexion, actively, passively, and resisted. Extension, actively, passively, and resisted. Pronate, actively and passively only. Supinate, actively and passively. And that is the end of your elbow assessment. Okay, and now to our final upper limb joint, which will be the hand and the wrist. Uh, Again, danger of repeating myself. We're going to get some consent. We're going to wash our hands. We're going to do a visual inspection. We're going to take a history. And then we're going to look, feel, and move. So we're going to inspect the hand and wrist initially. Focusing on the affected side, but obviously also comparing to the non-affected side. We're going to inspect the dorsum and the palmar aspect of the hands. And we're looking for the usual things like bruising, swelling and deformity. Considering the joint above on our fill um, element now, we're going to go back up to the elbow. And we're going to fill the medial and lateral epicondyles and the elequinon there is no joint below. So we now feel the wrist and hands. So we're going to palpate the carpal bones in the wrist, the affected side. We're going to palpate the metacarpals in the hand. We're going to palpate all the phalanges and we're going to palpate the thenar eminence. Um, And again, whilst we're palpating, we're considering uh, neurovascular status. Uh, We're considering the interphalangeal joints and the metacarpal phalangeal joints as well. Whilst we're feeling, we're gonna consider our scaphoid. So we're gonna palpate in the anatomical snuff box. If it's tender there, I mean acutely tender, it's generally tender if you poke in there, but if it's so acute that you don't want someone to do that, then you might have a scaphoid fracture, and you can also consider some thumb telescoping at this point. Moving on to the move section, so the joint above will be the elbow. So we're just going to flex, extend, pronate and supinate. There is no joint below, so we're going to now move the wrist and the fingers. So we're going to wrist extend actively, passively and resisted. We're going to flex at the wrist actively, passively and resisted. We're going to extend our fingers, which is active only. And we're going to flex our fingers, which is also active only. Finger um, abduction, actively and resisted. Thumb opposition, active only. And thumb abduction and adduction, which is actively, passively and resisted. And finally, we're going to do some radial and ulnar deviation, which is actively passively, and resisted. And that is the end of your hand and wrist assessment. So, as I'd previously said, I'd separated these into upper and lower. We've done our upper. We're now going to move to our lower joints. The first joint that we're going to consider will be the hip joint. Just bearing in mind that in adult... Uh, there is very little minor injury problems around the hip or very few minor injury problems around the hip Um, the most common uh, injury you're likely to to come across is a query uh, fracture of a neck of femur uh, which is not a minor injury at all it can be um, life-threatening for some people so generally Um, If you're dealing with a hip injury with no history of trauma, what you're basically assessing for are muscular injuries. If you think um, it's a hip fracture, then you're just going to um, manage pain, uh, package up and transfer to hospital for an x-ray. Otherwise, if it's non-trauma related, uh, you can then go on and assess the hip in isolation. So very much, very similar to what we did with the upper limbs and we're going to get some consent we're going to clean our hands we're going to do a visual inspection uh, and we're going to make sure they're positioned properly and then take a history with this particular joint the first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at the patient's ability to mobilize so looking at their gait looking at how they walk um, obviously looking for any sort of um, disturbance in their gait or or, or mobility. The same with the upper limbs, we're now gonna go down um, to the the lower joint. There obviously is no upper joint for the hip, so we need to move down to the knee, and this is where we're gonna feel. So we're gonna feel around um, the patella, Um, we're gonna feel around the tibial tuberosity and the lateral and medial structures, and we're gonna feel the patella both flexed and extended. So, still on feel, we're going to go back up to the hip and we're going to palpate the greater trochanter. Um, And that's the only place we're going to feel and where we're going to record any tenderness and also consider neurovascular status at this point. Now we're moving into the move phase. So we're back down to the, the joint below, which is the knee. Um, On the the affected side only, we're going to basically just flex and extend at the knee joint. Moving back up to the hip joint, uh, we're going to carry out the following um, tests. Um, It's probably easier at this point to get the person to lay prone, so on their front, um, and we're going to do some hip extension, which should be actively, passively, and resisted. The extension is basically stretching the hamstring and gluteus maximus muscles. Then they're going to go back supine on their back, and we're going to do hip flexion, which is essentially a straight leg raise, also actively, passively, and resisted. And those muscle groups um, are the psoas muscles that we're testing there. We're going to do some internal and external rotation. On the affected side, actively, passively, and resisted, for both of those, um, the external rotation will uh, be assessing the sort of femoral head muscle group um, which links to the pelvis. The internal one will be assessing the muscles that join the knee to the pelvis. We're also going to abduct and adduct at the hip again, actively, passively, and resisted. Uh, The abduction will will test the lateral hip muscles and the adduction will test test the medial muscles of the thigh. And that is the end of the hip assessment. Moving on down the lower limbs to the knee now. Uh, Exactly the same process. Get some consent, take a history, get our hands cleaned, uh, do an end of bed exam looking for any of those initial visual clues, and then move into look, feel, move phase. So, very similar to the hip, the look phase is all about mobility and gait. So, we're going to ask the patient to have a wander around. Um, and make sure they can walk make sure their gait is normal uh, and make sure there's no obvious um, problems when they mobilize. You're obviously looking at the knee particularly so looking for swelling and redness and effusion. Um, You're also looking for sort of symmetrical quad muscles so just be aware of any sort of muscle wastage on the affected side which might um, indicate a sort of a long-term injury. So once they've had a once you've had a look and once they've had a mobilised around, we're going to go back on the bed and we're going to consider the joint above, which on this occasion is the hip. And now we're going to move into the feel phase. So we're just going to feel the greater trochanter on the affected side. Moving down below the knee is obviously into your ankle and foot area. Um, so again, we're feeling we're feeling the medial, sorry, we're feeling the medial and lateral malleoli. And we're feeling the calcaneum, the heel bone, and we're also feeling the base of the fifth metatarsal. So general feel around the ankle and foot. And then moving back up to the knee for a proper feel around the knee. So first things we need to do is ask the patient to uh, tense their quads. So whilst you're holding both quad muscles, um, at the same time, ask them to tense their quads. They should feel symmetrical and very similar. Then we're going to palpate around the patella, both flexed um, and um, extended. And then we're going to palpate around the tibial tuberosity and the patella tendon. We're going to move around to the lateral collateral ligaments and the head of fibula. And we're also going to move around to the medial lateral collateral ligaments as well. Have a general feel around the, uh, the knee joint. Again, considering neurovascular status whilst we're feeling. So that's our movement. That's our feel phase. Now we're going to go on to move. So back up to the hip. Uh, We're going to do some internal and external rotation of the hip. Just make sure that we've got good range of movement there. Back down to the ankle and foot. And we're just going to do some plantar and dorsiflexion of the ankle and foot. Moving the knee joint, uh, we're going to start with a straight leg raise, actively, passively, and resisted. Then we're going to move to knee flexion, actively, passively, and resisted. And then we're going to move to knee extension, uh, which is active only. The other specialist test we need to do at this stage is the anterior and posterior draw test which um, assesses the anterior and posterior cruciate ligaments. Um, these are passive movements only. So again, we would have discussed the technique during the lecture, but basically you're pulling and pushing um, the lower leg t- towards you and away from you just to make sure that it's stable and um, there's no mobility there. I'm also gonna test the lateral collateral ligament stress, which is um, passive movement and the medial collateral ligament stress test which is also passive. Again we're just stretching those ligaments to make sure that they're intact. The one thing we do have to consider is the Ottawa knee rules. Uh, Again we would have discussed that in the lecture um, but this is to consider the need for an x-ray and that is the end of your knee assessment. So moving on to our final um, joint in the lower limbs, which is the ankle and the foot. Again, we're going to get consent, sort our hands out, take a history, do a quick visual end of bed exam, and then move into our look, feel, move phases. So looking... Again, this is all about mobility. So all these lower joints, is all about mobility, the look phase. So we're going to get them to walk. We're going to assess their mobility. We're going to look for swelling, um, redness or or bruising around the ankle and foot area. If the injury or the history is suggestive of an Achilles tendon injury, then it's probably a good opportunity to just have a quick palpate of the Achilles tendon uh, to make sure it's intact and there's no um, obvious uh, tenderness or swelling at that particular point so that's our look phase now we uh, move to feel so remember we have to do joint above there is no joint below obviously because we're at the lowest joint so we're just going to do the joint above and we're just going to have a general palpation around the patella and tibial tuberosity and lateral and medial structures with the knee both flexed and extended so feeling uh, around the foot and the ankle first of all we're gonna we're gonna start with the calf so above the ankle in um, below the knee just the calf muscle have a have a quick feel around there uh, make sure there's no tenderness and if you haven't done the achilles um yet this is the chance you get to feel the achilles tendon just have a quick palpate of the achilles tendon and obviously considering neurovascular status whilst you're feeling moving down to the joint itself we're going to feel the medial and lateral malleoli particularly the posterior edges of those two uh, bones uh, moving into the foot we're going to feel the calcaneum we're going to feel the base of fifth metatarsal we're going to feel around the midfoot Um, which is just below the talus bone, and we're going to feel the metatarsals and the metatarsal phalangeal joints. Okay, so general will feel around the foot and the ankle. Now we're going to move into the move phase. Um, So back up to the knee joint above, and we're just going to do some simple uh, flexion and extension of the knee joint. Going down to the ankle, So the movement phase, uh, we have some plantar flexion, which is active, passive, and resisted. We have some dorsiflexion, which is also active, passive, and resisted. Then we have some eversion, which is active and passive, and inversion, which is active and passive, remembering this is on the affected side. Now if we were really concerned about the Achilles tendon uh, the final test we would do would be the Simmons test we would have discussed this in the lecture but basically uh, either with the patient prone or with their knee bent on a chair we're going to squeeze the calf and, and and look for plantar flexion I'm um, going to do this on the affected side uh, you would generally only do this if you're worried about the achilles uh, but we are going to ask you to do this in your osce just to demonstrate the technique finally like the knee there are some um, rules to this so you have got the ottawa ankle rules and the foot rules so we're just going to make sure uh, there's not an immediate need for an x-ray based on our findings and that is the end of your ankle and foot assessment